0: You'd be shocked at how often we have countless anecdotes where people are asking, can I speak to Mia? She was so amazing. And it turns out Mia was actually, you know, the AI that they were conversing with. The future of
1: conversational AI for car dealerships is being developed in Georgia, but not the Georgia you're thinking of. And it's already making a huge impact on how cars get sold here in America. Today, I'm speaking with Devin Daly, CEO of Impel, a digital engagement platform that helps dealers communicate with customers using artificial intelligence. We discuss raising $130 million to create the next generation of automotive chatbots, what inspired the company's early pivot from the fashion industry into the automotive world, the challenge of training ChatGPT to tell the truth, and much more. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. But before we get into the show, this episode was brought to you by Private Auto, the first transactional marketplace that enables a safe and secure way to buy and sell vehicles privately. Private Auto provides a self-service platform that removes the middleman and uses proprietary banking technology. This allows buyers and sellers to safely complete a private party sale on their own at any time. They've thought of it all, identity verification to avoid scams, an e-bill of sale to simplify the paperwork, instant transfer of money between buyers and sellers, and so much more. Learn more at privateauto.com and use code CDG to list your car for free. This episode is also brought to you by Valvoline. You might know Valvoline's the original motor oil. After all, they've been at it since 1866. But to their dealership customers, there's so much more. When you partner with Valvoline, your dealership not only gets access to legendary Valvoline products, but also to their customer business solutions, marketing resources, consumer promotions, and other programs that go beyond the traditional supplier partnership. Valvoline can help you drive your service department by streamlining operations and increasing revenue with hands-on technician and sales advisor training, state-of-the-art service lane technology, and a robust preventative maintenance chemical program. They even have programs to help you sell more cars and increase trade-ins. What other fixed ops vendor can say that? So what's all this mean for you? Fewer vendors, more value, and a brand your customers know and trust. Valvoline's reinventing how a supplier partners with the dealership. For more information about how Valvoline can become your ultimate fixed ops partner, visit partner.valvoline.com or click the link in the show notes below.
0: So started my career in sort of traditional Wall Street fashion, started at Merrill Lynch in their technology m division, did the sort of traditional two-year stint there, and then moved into a private equity role at a company called Cambridge Associates. And I was on their vertical software team, investing in vertical software as a service businesses really fell in love with you know the model of SaaS in that it was predictable, the operating leverage that you're able to gain in a, in a software as a service business. And the way I came up with the idea for what became Impel is we had invested in a bunch of what I would call e-commerce enablement products. So we invested in like a recommendation engine for e-commerce. We invested in a chat product for e-commerce. And what I realized was these e-commerce enablement products had really fast growth, great CSI scores, great gross retention rates, all the levers or KPIs you look for were stronger within that subset of our portfolio. When I started to peel back the onion to understand why that was, it was because they had such a demonstrable ROI case. If you're a chat product that plugs into Louis Vuitton, you can do the algebra that you took their conversion rate from 2% to 2.4% and that yielded Louis Vuitton 100,000 in gross profit, for instance. So, That's what we really, that's when we started racking our brain for what's the next thing in this e-commerce evolution and came up with 360 imaging, immersive 360 views of products were a tried and true way to improve e-commerce conversion, but there wasn't really an out of the box solution to do that at scale. So that's what we set out to do initially targeting the fashion industry.
1: Oh, so you were going fashion first. Now, what led you to taking this to automotive? When did you discover that opportunity?
0: Yeah, great question. So we launched the business focused on fashion in twenty fourteen. We were, you know, based in Manhattan at the time. And I hired a gentleman from Reynolds and Reynolds, obviously one of the large automotive incumbent vendors. And when he changed his LinkedIn I hired him to work on the fashion business, but when he changed his LinkedIn profile, one of his dealer customers reached out to him and said, You know, I see what you guys are doing in fashion. Is it is it possible that you can do this for cars? And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was St. Patrick's Day, twenty fifteen. He and I went out to this guy's dealership and 13 minutes later, the guy signed a contract for the highest contract value in the company's history for his dealership group, you know, sort of centered in in the Northeast. And, you know, you juxtapose that with selling into fashion where you've got four different ad agencies vying for their own interest before you make a change to Louis Vuitton's website. And we kind of knew we were onto something. We straddled both industries for six months and then in late 2015 decided to focus purely on automotive
1: Incredible. So, and then what was that initial insight, right? So you, you build this spin car tool at the time, right? Carvana had this already, if I remember correctly. And I remember very vividly, right? I I didn't set up Get-A-Car yet until like 2018, but I just remember very vividly doing research on their booths. And I mean, Carvana's booths were no, you know, cheap thing. I mean, they spent hundreds of thousands on these booths. It was just really, really custom made. When was that point for you? Did you reach that point when you were like, wow, this is a really, really big opportunity here, arguably to can arm the rebels, quote unquote, right? To let dealers sort of have the same type of experience on a vehicle detail page on their website as a Carvana. When was that for you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So again, we we initially launched in fashion. So we weren't super aware of Carvana. Once we started pivoting into automotive and started signing up dealers, we became aware. And you're exactly right. I think it was like $750,000, you know, for each of those Carvana booth installations. And that was that was our whole thesis, right, is, you know, we want to democratize this type of technology and this type of experience to every mom and pop dealer, you know, as the auto industry is, is sort of, you know, on the precipice of this kind of e-commerce evolution, if you will. So, you know, that was kind of in that, you know, mid 2015 timeframe. And, you know, I think that's what made us realize we should focus purely on automotive and that, you know, it's a massive industry. And it was, you know, one of the last sectors to really experience full kind of e-commerce transformation.
1: In terms of entrepreneurship in general, was this like a bizarre kind of world for you? I mean, did you come from an entrepreneurial family? You were clearly in investment banking, so this is obviously a shift. So, what was that shift like for you?
0: Yeah, great question. So, yeah, certainly didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. It came from a, a family of you know risk averse medical professionals, and you know to your point, I was on that Wall Street path of, as they call it, the adage was seven figures in, in seven years. So when I you know struck out to start my own company. People thought I was crazy. You know that said, I I always felt like I wanted to move faster. You know that my career was allowing and, and make an impact, and you know it was held back a little bit by the administration bureaucracy of working large financial institutions. So 2014 is when I decided to strike out on my own.
1: Before we get into the business, I want to understand the evolution of your company as an entrepreneur, right? From being just a car kind of spin software for dealers, so that people can get that Carvana experience to Everything you do today, which we'll get into, tell us about that evolution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, started in fashion in in kind of 2014, March of 2015, sold and onboarded our first dealership. Q4 of 15, we started letting our retail contracts expire. That's when we rebranded the company to Spin Car, and we were fully focused, you know, on the auto industry at that point. To your point, the initial product line was really focused on just merchandising the vehicle, and again, providing that. You know, virtual immersive tour of a vehicle. We realized the second pain point, you know, is related to to feature and F and I and option merchandising. In that, you know, vehicles are increasingly complex. It's increasingly difficult for somebody to understand, you know, the BMW cruise control versus lane keeping assist on the Mercedes. And so, we built out products that helped merchandise features as well as F and I solutions on a dealer's website. It was at that time you know, that I think we realized we have this very valuable data exhaust coming out of our merchandising products. Again, because we deliver that rich viewing experience, it allows us to glean information about, you know, maybe Devin's a performance buyer because he clicked on the engine hotspot photo 17 times and the turbocharger video nine times.
1: Interesting.
0: Performance specs okay. times. And then that data is then used to custom tailor our AI responses. So that was really when we sort of came up with this AI thesis, as we realized this exhaust data can power kind of next level personalization. And so came up with this thesis around artificial intelligence in the auto industry. And we did two acquisitions in that space long before the hype of, of GPT. And that's really, I think, shifted the center of gravity of the business towards AI. That
1: is very interesting. And I never considered that. So tell us more about that, right? You're able to see, of course, the hotspots. How are dealers using that information specifically?
0: The first real use case of that data is in retargeting ad units. So that was the first kind of activation is, you know, if Yossi and Devin are looking at the same five series, Devin exhibits a performance-centric behavior, like I just described, whereas Yossi clicks on safety features like the overhead airbag feature or the IEHS safety rating sheet. If we leave the site and we are then retargeted with that same five series, there would be an additional level of tailoring. So I would get performance-centric creative that might have 455 horsepower highlighted within the ad unit, whereas Yossi may get you know, the IAHS safety rating embedded into that ad unit. We find by adding that additional level of tailoring, click-through rates are increased pretty dramatically. Over the last couple of years, we've started also activating that through our AI communication platform. So, same exact situation, if I look at performance-centric features, Yossi looks at safety-centric features, if we both submit leads or we engage with an AI-based chatbot in that site asking, is this vehicle available, the AI will respond confirming availability of that vehicle, but it will also then you know, maybe inject something about performance or safety, yes, the 5 Series available, by the way, did you happen to notice this is the M package with 455 horsepower, for instance?
1: So, do you think that today, with your technology and generally speaking, where are our industry is headed, do you think that dealers can really match that Carvana merchandising experience online? Where are the biggest gaps? How do you think about that?
0: Yeah, we do. You know, now with the advances that have happened in with computer vision and artificial intelligence background improvement and, you know, 3D backgrounding and, and things of that nature. Absolutely. We recently launched a, a product called Virtual Booth that is designed to do exactly that, which is allow a dealership to shoot in various conditions outside on their lot. And then artificial intelligence and computer vision does all of that improvement, adjusts the sharpness, brightness, of the vehicle as well as does image segmentation to remove the background and add an enhanced booth like experience absolutely
1: i want to take a step back right so you're offering various merchandising products but what are in general Like, where's your company headed right what are you offering today and then when you think about the evolution of the car dealership what are you building in order to help car dealers keep evolving
0: Yep. So merchandising is still a, a huge part of our business. And again, that's really focused on providing an immersive online experience that, you know, inspires confidence and trust remotely before somebody actually physically enters the dealership. So again, that's still, you know, the strong majority of our business. That said, over the last couple of years, we've done two acquisitions in the artificial intelligence space and have built out several additional AI activations. I think fundamentally, you know, our thesis is that dealerships today are massively human capital intensive. You know, the average Main Street mom and pop dealership has 150 employees, for instance. And, you know, it's our belief that given margin pressure... Given OEM starting to go direct to consumer, rising interest rates, new entrants and channels in the market, then over the next three to five years, we will see dealerships become less human capital intensive and more AI and automation enabled. And really, our vision or what we're building towards is AI manage the entire, to be managing the entire life cycle from selling the vehicle to doing AI CSI surveying to selling F&I and accessory products post purchase to continuing to get somebody back into service their vehicle and build that bond of service loyalty, and then eventually using AI to actually acquire that vehicle, knowing somebody's likely to sell that vehicle back based on you know driving habits or, or DMS data. You seem to have a pretty strong opinion
1: here, right? That AI will sort of infiltrate every part of the sales process. And so how do you respond to the people that say, no, I want to talk to a human. I don't want to deal with a robot when I'm making arguably the second largest purchase I'm going to be making in my lifetime after home, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I I would say that people need to, to really have a hard look at the conversation quality that large language models have unlocked. You know, I think a lot of that thinking is probably anchored around, you know, five or seven year old AI experiences, the conversation quality with LLMs is an order of magnitude better than, you know, what we saw three, four five years ago. And, you know, we've got countless examples wherein, you know, we compare an actual BDC rep or salesperson at the dealership compared to an AI generated response. And, you know, in a lot of cases, a BDC rep is not following OEM guidelines. You know, they may not use the customer's first name. They may not thank them for interest in the vehicle or God forbid, you know, they're, they're making typos or grammatical errors. AI doesn't do that. It will follow templates perfectly, always spells complex OEM features accurately. And yeah, so I think my answer there is... You know, LLMs and AI have come a really long way and the conversation quality in the vast majority of cases is actually superior to a human.
1: What dealership roles do you think are most at risk?
0: I don't think we really view it as what roles are at risk. I think what we really think the role of AI is, is giving a dealership the ability to offload those menial, repetitive tasks and allowing humans to focus on high value activities like You know, being on the phone, building relationships, let AI do the drudgery of, you know, sending the Carfax report or sending interior photos or, you know, answering questions about features and let your BDC team, your salespeople be on the phone, you know, building that relationship, building that rapport. So that's really, that's really how we view it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I saw a good quote. It was like, you won't be replaced by AI. You'll be replaced by someone that's using AI, by a human that's using AI and is simply more efficient and effective. So I like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's it, right? You know, we think generally role types might change. And yes, you know, sales reps will be working alongside AI models, but we don't view it as, you know, you can kind of get rid of after sales team or anything like that.
1: So from what you're seeing so far with your customers, your business, how are consumers reacting to this? Generally speaking, what is the sentiment with consumers? Are they... I mentioned some of the, the naysayers or... The devil's advocates, people saying, Oh, I want to talk to our robot, great. But from a consumer perspective, what are you seeing?
0: Yeah, from a consumer perspective, I think they generally really appreciate the AI. You know, if you think about what the traditional sales experience is like. If somebody submits a lead after hours, which is, you know, probably 55% of total lead volume, the average experience is that consumer is not responded to for 12, 14, 16 hours. And that's in an age when, you know, consumers are used to having access to everything at their fingertips. With AI, they're responded to immediately 24 hours a day to get their questions answered. On the service side of the business, also, you'd be surprised how many people actually thank the AI for proactively reaching out to them, letting them know that they're probably due for, you know, routine maintenance, 30 mile 30,000 mile service, for instance, they view it almost as, you know, kind of a service concierge, if you will, they're always, you know, the AI is always in touch with them, they know they're doing what's right with the vehicle and they're they're generally appreciative of that. In regards to, you know, just quality of conversation, you'd be shocked at how often we have countless anecdotes where people are asking, now, uh, can I speak to Mia? She was so amazing. And it turns out Mia was actually the AI that they were conversing with. Shut so up. Yeah, consumers generally generally really appreciate it.
1: Is that the name of your agent, Mia?
0: <laughs> the dealer can set it. Yeah, they, they can set it to whatever they'd like. They can that, set it. that seems to be a common one. Probably, you know, it's got AI in the name or, or what have you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they can set that up however they'd like.
1: Have you had any issues with confinement or just kind of keeping the, the agent
0: on the right track? A great question. You know, we get asked all the time by OEMs and major dealer groups, oh, you know, ChatGPT is available. Can I just, you know, plug that into my website? And our response is, you know, vehemently, we would not recommend that. You know, GPT unbridled will flatly lie about your business, which could have, you know, catastrophic reputational ramifications. Number one. Number two, you know, an off the shelf LLM is not typically really designed to drive business outcomes. It's designed to be kind of a novelty and have a back and forth conversation. Its real goal is to elicit a response and have the highest response and engagement rate possible. It's almost flirtatious in that way, if you will. It, again, doesn't drive towards business outcomes. So we believe it's really critical to have an optimization layer that's trained on automotive-specific data you know, that prevents those hallucinations and drives towards appointments or lead generation or whatever those business goals are.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Dig in one level deeper there, right? Because how are you doing that then? If it's not just Chad GBT, how are you doing this?
0: Yeah, I'd say generally, you know, our solution, our AI suite is purpose built for automotive retailing. So we use a variety of different models. We're model agnostic and use a, a kind of proprietary mix of, you know, our own homegrown models as well as foundational LLMs. We're constantly training our model via our own enhancements, prompt engineering, and really fine-tuning based on more than six years of auto industry customer interactions and over 100 million conversations. And, you know, really what we focus on is providing a tailored and customized platform, you know, for automotive retailing that, you know, again, prevents hallucinations and and drives towards business outcomes.
1: So you mentioned business outcomes. What do you think is going to be the best application for AI generally. It's funny, like we're talking about AI in the dealership, go back a decade ago, even five years ago, it was like, well, maybe not five, but maybe a decade ago, right? The dealership has this like stigma as, you know, not being the most technologically advanced industry and whatnot. And and here we are. And so anyways, fast forwarding, what do you think will be the best application as you kind of see this through?
0: Yeah, I think fundamentally, you know, it's, Conversational AI, both from a a chat standpoint, but also an asynchronous SMS and email response tool that's designed to number one, answer questions. So, you know, again, our AI models can answer somewhere around 11,000 different intents, answer to 11,000 different intents. So it can answer questions about features, car facts, interior photos. And if you really think about how long that would take a human being to respond to one of those inquiries, you know, it's probably an average of three to 5 minutes by the time you you know go find the vdp page download the interior photos attach them to an email and then send that out so i think number 1 is is generally answering questions number 2 is long term follow up i think that applies to both sales as well as service on the sales side of the business There's a high percentage of customers that are just in the market for a protracted period of time and not for bad reason. You know, they get maybe, you know, they submit a lead and then they get busy at work or they go on vacation or what have you. Most dealerships don't have the ability to follow up with somebody for more than, you know, three or four days. With AI, it will follow up relentlessly for 51 days and and stay engaged and keep that dealership top of mind when that consumer resurfaces ready to buy. And again, the main goal of this is really driving towards an appointment, whether that's a sales appointment or a service appointment. Again, with AI, we can set an appointment directly in the CRM system, push a calendar invite out to the consumer. That's one thing dealerships love is, again, with 55% of leads coming in overnight, a lot of mornings they'll walk in and they'll have several appointments that were made completely hands-off by the AI during closure period.
1: That's incredible. So when you say driving towards appointments, where are you seeing right now the biggest impact being made with the way you're partnering with dealerships and your technology, what is making, would you say, the biggest impact? And again, you can define biggest as the biggest delta from prior performance, whether it be profitability or customer experience. But I'm curious to know where you're kind of seeing the movers and shakers here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think on the sales side of the business, we're seeing around a 20 to 30% lift in appointment set rate, meaning, you know, leads divided by appointments will increase that by roughly 20 or 30 percent and a big reason for that is with ai we're touching each lead four times more than without using ai meaning the outreach where we're doing text and email with ai is creating four times the number of touch points on the service side of the business we're seeing a huge amount of incremental RO volume. It's an average of around $45,000 per month in incremental sort of comparing before versus after adopting service AI of incremental RO volume. One sort of tangential benefit we didn't necessarily expect going into this is because we're doing proactive service outreach, we're also seeing on average roughly a 30% reduction in inbound service phone call volume, which we all know is a massive problem in the industry with most service calls going to The worst,
1: the worst. Yeah, you call the dealership service, it's, you can never get in touch with anyone.
0: It's a bad customer experience, you know, you spend $50,000 on a Lexus or whatever and you you try to call in for your first or second service and they don't answer. So, yeah, AI can play a critical role in doing that proactive outreach and allowing somebody to schedule completely online.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten a little bit better, but but it's definitely one of the biggest pain points. Dude, you know what I wanted to ask you? I didn't want to cut you off as you were explaining earlier, but I had no idea that I'm looking, I just looked you up on Crunchbase. You guys raised $130 million?
0: Yep, yep. So we originally mostly bootstrapped the business. And then in 2018, we raised a growth equity round with a group called WaveCrest Growth Partners. Uh, that was a $22 million growth equity round. And then in January of 2023, we raised a $104 million round with Silversmith Capital Partners. Silversmith uh, were also the lead investors in, in dealer.com. So yeah, a total of yeah, roughly 130.
1: That's amazing. So you guys are clearly well-funded. The follow-up question I was going to have for you was, you mentioned you made a couple of acquisitions over the past couple of years. And I was going to ask you how you funded that and what are these acquisitions that you made?
0: Yeah. So in May of 2021, we acquired a business out of the Republic of Georgia uh, that was previously known as Pulsar. That is now what we've converted or rebranded as our sales AI product.
1: Wait, wait, How did you find a business in the Republic of Georgia? How did this happen?
0: (laughs) yeah, we came up with this AI thesis, you know, we're always talking to our dealer council about what are the highest ROI products, you know, what are companies that we should look at, you know, partnering or integrating with or potentially acquiring and so we jogged this AI thesis by them and some of them had used, you know, competitors they'd used, you know, a Conversica or companies like that. One guy in the room said I I've tried them all, you know, we believe in this AI, you know, category and there's this company called Pulsar based out of the Republic of Georgia. Their AI is 10x more intelligent than anything else that we've found. And so in the middle of COVID, my co-founder and I flew out to the Republic of Georgia when there were still you know, curfews going on and we had to be home by, by 6 o'clock at night. It was very difficult to, to even travel into the country, but loved the team and really were blown away by the, the technology. You know, we've grown that team over there from 25 or 30 at the time of acquisition. It's now around 75 people most are PhDs, just amazing AI technologists. It's
1: funny. So random. It feels like it's kind of came out of nowhere, Republic of Georgia, but that that's cool that you actually execute on that. Did you go into this having like an acquisitive mindset, right? Because founders typically, typically, not always, it's a bit of a transition process. Like, granted, you were investment banking background. So did that, kind of give you that drive to think about acquisitions and where potentially a bolt-on or another company can help you accelerate your growth?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And again, you know, stepping into a different category, right? We had not done much with artificial intelligence. So, you know, would we have acquired, you know, a merchandising product? Probably not because we had the in-house competency to build that. But when we're, you know, extending into a completely novel new category with different, you know, technology stacks and infrastructure, it certainly made sense. You know, that said, we we have a very high bar when it comes to acquisitions. You know, I think there's lots of well funded companies like mine and you know, they try to buy anything in their segment and slam these companies together and find as much G and A synergy as as possible. And that's really not been our model. Again, we will only buy something if we really think it completes that or gets us closer to that North Star of using AI to manage the entire customer lifecycle and personalized touch points throughout the ownership journey.
1: So we're clearly making lots of progress here as an industry. I've had lots of conversations about this topic and where can technology truly deliver, you know, this next level experience. I love how Doug e. Rowe mentioned this on our one of my previous podcasts, president of Longo, Toyota. And he said, look, he's like, for me, he's like, I just care about what business problem do I have and how can I solve it? And if AI or technology is that solution, then so be it. When you see the continuously evolving nature here of ai playing into the dealership right what is the end game what does that look like and where are we headed ultimately
0: yeah i think it it touches on what we talked about earlier which is ai managing that you know entire customer life cycle and doing all you know asynchronous or chat-based communications for a dealership from again sales F&I and accessories to service and eventually vehicle acquisition and you know again really what we believe is that will not only help a dealership maximize consumer lifetime value but really will have second order benefits reputationally and from a customer experience standpoint you know if you think about the average customer experience today to your point they make the second largest purchase of their life they fall in love with their salesperson they buy a vehicle Chances are they never hear from that dealership again, or if they do, it's just kind of an HTML marketing email, very non-personalized versus with AI. Yeah, got,
1: no, no one no one, wants that email. No one wants yeah, to get that email.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. It, with AI, you've got you know, Mia reaching out to you constantly, reminding you about service, checking in with you. How's your vehicle life cycle going? Again, just from a customer experience standpoint, we believe it's, it's materially better than what most dealerships do today.
1: Based on your data and your insight, where are you seeing customers the most frustrated with the dealership experience?
0: I think it's, you know, generally it's canned messaging and responses. It's inconsistency in regards to timeliness or the thoroughness or accuracy of answers. Again, lacking personalization, almost tone deaf to customer needs with, you know, kind of generic invitations to come to the dealership. And And test drive. And, you know, like we talked about a second ago, the outbound is often generic offers, impersonal messages, kind of lowest common denominator messaging. Whereas with AI, again, you've got perfect one to one personalization and tailoring.
1: And when you think about dealerships doing this at scale, and when I mean at scale, I mean just a couple years out from today, right? So we know that it makes dealerships more efficient. But I think what we don't know yet is how does it work with licensing? How is that going to evolve? And when I say licensing, right, the data has to come from somewhere and you have to pay for that data. So will we be in the situation as an industry, do you think, where we're going to get into some like licensing issues where it actually ends up being more cost prohibitive because you have to pay for this data and then that cancels out the added benefits? Have you thought about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say fundamentally, you know, I think to your point, we're just scratching the surface of what, you know, an AI enabled business world and society will look like in the next three to five years and what we can achieve. We believe that the advent of large language models are really on par with the invention of of the personal computer. In regards to licensing, you know, I think one thing people don't necessarily realize about working with a company like GPT is if you expose that to your own training data or CRM conversations, it becomes a part of the public domain for that specific model, which, again, is why you know we've taken the approach of kind of siloing off our own open source versions of models that we then can train with our 100 million conversations. So in terms of how cost prohibitive it will be, I think we've seen nothing but things getting cheaper, right? Like OpenAI you know, initially came to market at, you know, let's call whatever, X price. And a couple months later, they, you know, cut that by an order of magnitude. You know, it gave basically a 90% discount. We've seen that kind of across the industry. So I think generally, as we see in technology, things will become more efficient and, and more affordable. But I do think there's important things to take note of as it relates to data ownership. And again, not exposing proprietary training data to the public domain.
1: I want to shift gears. When we were doing research, I read that you recently partnered with ACV Auctions. Again, also timely. I just had Joe Neiman on the podcast, who's a co-founder. He's no longer there, but he was a co-founder. Anyways, the first thing I think about when I hear an AI automotive company and ACV Auctions partnering, I think, are we going to have buyers anymore or are we going to be buying cars using AI? So tell us more about this partnership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so I think the setup for this partnership is we believe over the last three years since COVID that dealerships have woken up to the need to control their own destiny as it relates to used vehicle acquisition i think you know they realized during the you know covid days that supply chains are brittle and therefore you can't really rely on your OEM to supply you a new inventory and you realize that you know auctions are unpredictable and carry pretty high fees and so what we've seen is a huge number of dealerships are standing up their own car buying centers or their own car buying strategies the problem is car buying leads are notoriously low, low engagement, right? There's a huge number of, you know, tire kickers, price checkers, people that just want to know if they're in an equity position. So it's difficult to get humans to even call those leads. That said, it's the perfect market or the perfect segment of leads or opportunities for AI to go after to really filter out who the real sellers are and serve those up. And so what we've done with ACV is partnered with their clear car valuation appraisal tool, wherein our AI will respond to all of those leads, drive them down the funnel, drive them towards setting a physical in-store appraisal appointment or completing the virtual computer vision-based appraisal that, that ACB Clear Car offers today. So yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Very cool, man. So before we wrap
1: up, I want to get your take. You're building some really great tech here to just improve the overall experience with dealerships. And I'm curious to know your take as you think about the next five years coming out of this, less so on the tactics, but how do you think ultimately this pushes our industry forward? What does that look like, given just the speed of technology adoption? you know every dealer that I speak with now, mostly the, the larger ones, of course, but you know they have someone dedicated just to this. And I think it's also another reason why you're seeing a lot of dealers who are selling out to bigger dealers or you know consolidation, right because the industry has gotten more complicated. There's just no doubt about it. And to keep up with this stuff, I think technology is obviously making it easier for the small guys to compete with the bigger guys. But nonetheless, just understanding and kind of you know figuring your way through all this has been quite a mission as it's gotten more sophisticated. What do you think that those next kind of five years look like for our industry?
0: Yeah, yeah. Some of it's, you know, what we touched on earlier, which is, you know, we think dealerships will go from being massively human capital intensive to really... AI and automation enabled. And, you know, I think to your point, right, all of the large publics have an AI strategy today. And we really believe that the mom and pop dealer should be investing alongside them. And, you know, solutions like what we offer are equally, if not more applicable to a mom and pop dealer than they are to a large, large public. So, but yeah, I think, again, what we're going to see is AI and automation enablement kind of across the spectrum from mom and pop dealerships all the way up to enterprise groups and OEMs. Very cool, man. Juicy acquisitions on the horizon that you're thinking about. We're always looking for stuff. Absolutely, you know. So, so please do reach out if if you're interested in you know discussing or, or doing a demo or looking at a, a partnership. We again have a very high bar and you know only want to buy things that advance our strategic vision towards using AI to manage the entire customer lifecycle. So nothing nothing definitive today, but hopefully in 2024.
1: I asked you earlier about all the products you offer, but what is your most popular product?
0: I would say our sales AI product that automates sales outreach via SMS and email, responds to leads, answers questions, does the long-term follow-up, sets appointments, and really drives people down the funnel. So that is our, you know, that's our highest growth and highest revenue skewed today.
1: Incredible. I mean, where does SpinCar, I mean, SpinCar was the OG, no more, huh?
0: Uh, most distribution, but lower price point products. So, yeah, that spin cars installed or 360 walk around product is installed in probably 6,000 dealerships across 53 countries, 53 markets today. You know, merchandising as a whole is still the bulk of our revenue and is certainly, you know, an area that we continue to be focused on. What we're seeing with merchandising, we still sell it direct to tier three, but it's also being bought by manufacturers as kind of a top down mandate type solution. Because we think at this point, if you're not using a product like ours, consumers are starting to ask why. It started to become, you know, 360 imaging is started to become almost standard in the auto retail. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I I would agree with that. It's sort of become table stakes, right? People expect it. You need to offer it. Last question here. You mentioned you have a high bar for acquisitions. What does that mean to you? Because I'm sure, you know, I met someone this weekend, and they specifically brought up this topic to me. They're a listener of the podcast and they specifically said that they loved the the founder, the acquisition questions, and so it's super top of mind. So I'm curious to know, what does that mean to you, right? When you say things that are aligned with their strategic vision and a high bar, what does that really mean?
0: Yeah, again, it's not our strategy to buy anything that ends in dot .car or dot .auto, and even if there's no kind of product synergy, slam the companies together as a way to find incremental EBITDA. For us, it's really finding strongly differentiated products with durable competitive moats and things that drive an ROI for a dealer and ideally are viewed as mission critical, not something that people throttle on and off or, you know, can replace easily with a competitor, but something that's differentiated and, and really a core part of that dealer's operating strategy.
1: You know, you just mentioned something that came to mind. You said software that people can replace easily. Did you have, early on in your career, building Impel, especially when you were just a, a spin car tool early on, and I say that and you know, it's just one product, right, very easily for a bigger company to just come in and kind of squash you out of the market. Did you have any oh shit moments like that? Did you ever fear like, hey, are we going to actually make it? Did you have that part of your journey?
0: Certainly had the the oh shit moments, no doubt. You know, it's it's a roller coaster, absolutely, especially in the early days, especially as you know, kind of a, a bootstrap business. You know, that said, I we pursued a competitive strategy wherein you know we really focused on building out the ecosystem of integration partners. So we became the you know exclusive integrated merchandising provider to many of the third party listing sites, many of the peer to peer marketplaces, and that kind of allowed us to box out competition wherein their only function on a dealer's website, but our merchandising products syndicated to this huge network of classified sites, it was difficult for a competitor to, to displace us because of that.
1: So speaking of partnerships, are you, which I think, by the way, is a very smart strategy, right? You're right. That, it, that does sort of box out competition, especially early on when you're a tech product, which is, you know, pretty easily, I mean, it's commoditized in a way. What about manufacturers? Like, have you done any partnerships on the manufacturer side?
0: Certainly, yeah. We're seeing manufacturers start to adopt our, our merchandising products and kind of mandate them top down. But more specifically to AI, over the last year we've seen a lot of manufacturers coming to us. You know, they see that tier three communications happening at the dealer level are brand non-compliant. And they're asking us, you know, instead, can we establish AI-based communication protocols at the tier one level? Cascade those down to tier three dealerships, and you know maybe as part of that the OEM gets some insights back about you know what tier three consumers are are asking about or you know what those tier three conversations look like. So we've definitely seen demand there. The second area, you know, as manufacturers have invested a lot in consumer data platforms and really see AI as a key activation to those CDPs. AI is not restricted in the same way that most CDP activations are. You know, it's not restricted by limitations of an ad network. And so it really allows for full kind of unbridled personalization powered by an OEM CDP.
1: Mm -hmm. When you say they're mandating the products, what specific products are most important to the manufacturers right now?
0: I think again, because you know 360 views have kind of become table stakes, we're starting to see that be either mandated or heavily incentivized at the manufacturer level. We're also seeing you know, our feature tour product be just built into OEM certified websites. So again, that's our product that helps you know, articulate using rich explainer content you know, OEM features and, and articulate, again, the difference between adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist, for instance, by embedding you know, rich multimedia content directly in the website. So that's something that, again, is just being integrated as part of OEM programs.
1: Well stated, my friend. Devin Daly thanks so much for coming on. If anyone's interested in learning more, we'll put the link in the show notes below. Impel, check it out. Devin, this was really fun. Thanks for coming on, man.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.